Hey, today we're looking at the fourth chapter of James, and this is a, uh, this is a significant uh, book of the Bible in terms of its pragmatic insight, in terms of the fact that it was actually written by the brother of Jesus. And you're going to see in the uh, fourth chapter that what's going to be discussed is a clear understanding that you and I were met, meant to hear from God. And so if we're not hearing from God, then there's something wrong. And, and I'm acknowledging that it's not a God problem, it's a human problem. And James is going to say, um, not only are you able to hear from him, but he's going to be very prescriptive in giving us some of the steps that we need to do to position ourselves to truly hear from God. And so before we get into James and his uh, kind of processes of drawing near to the heart of the Lord and being able to hear from him, I want to... Uh, make sure that we understand the kind of the prerequisite you know so we're in the fourth chapter we're towards the end of the book but what james's presupposition in is is that you already believe in god and i know that some of us today you know i don't know where you're at in your belief of god i i didn't grow up naturally believing in the lord i didn't grow up going to church i didn't uh, grow up in that kind of a culture and so in my own life what happened is that there were events that i tried to process about life which led me to an understanding that there really was a God. And so uh, before we move to how you can hear from him, let's start with, is he real or not? And, and I call that slowing down to speed up. And so I find the fact that people don't believe in God, I almost think that that's a miracle, that anybody cannot believe in God. And um, again, I've, I've been old enough, I've been around, I've researched, I've seen enough things in life that caused me to where I just about have to believe in him. And, and for example, I'll, my undergraduate degree is in environmental science and urban planning. And so I had to study so many geological uh, and environmental um, histories of the planet. And, and I just want to say it like this. Right now, what scientists know for sure is that we're on a planet, and our planet, called Earth, is spinning this way at 67,000 miles per hour. Okay, so 67,000 miles per hour this way. At the same time, it's rotating around the sun. So if this was spinning, imagine it's spinning 67,000 miles an hour. Now, also at the same time, while that's going at 67,000 miles an hour, it's rotating around the sun at 100,000 miles an hour. And then, by the way, the sun isn't still the sun is actually moving and kind of orbiting our whole solar system is orbiting what we call the Milky, Milky Way or our galaxy. And that's only at about 500,000 miles an hour. So, I mean, if you stood up, stand up and just spin like this, just spin, do that 67,000 miles an hour. At the same time, walk around this table and, and do that about 100,000 miles an hour. And then, oh, by the way, Imagine yourself, let's say that you're in a train and the train is going 500,000 miles an hour. That's kind of where we're at. Oh, just one more uh, factor to put in. So not only is the Milky Way uh, revolving or the sun revolving around the Milky Way, the Milky Way is moving through the universe at 828,000 miles an hour. And so I I'm sorry. That is so complex, that's so real, that I can't come up with any kind of a concept of how there's not a God who put all this together and keeps it moving in the right direction. And so, uh, I don't know, I, I 
don't want to be scientific. I mean, the scientists would say that we're moving at, and, and when you put all those things together, we're not even sure how gravity works and how fast we're really moving because all those things impact each other. So Einstein's theory of relativity doesn't even quite work in terms of describing exactly how fast we're moving. We just, there's too many variables. So why a scientist might be able to tell you how fast we're going, I want us to move away from that a little bit and, and just think of like what a psychologist might say is how are you feeling? You know, how are you feeling about moving like that? Maybe the philosopher would say, where are we going? Uh, the religious person says, and this is how you're supposed to get there. But I want you to have all those thoughts, but move to one further step and just be a kid again. Would you just be a child? Because you know what the child really asks? When are we going to get there? Or why? Why? If we need to kind of have that mindset if we're really going to come to a place of understanding God. If we think we're going to approach him scientifically and prove him scientifically, yeah, I think science points to the reality of that he's real. I certainly do. I think that uh, nature in itself lends its, uh, itself to proving that there is a creator. It's just so clear. I think our psychologists know that we're a complex human being and we're uh, needing to belong. And, and there's that sense of it's, it's not just a world system, but it's real humans, people that have to care. So I think when you look at the whole thing, you can see the reality that there is a God. But the best way to understand God, according to James, the fourth chapter, and really the entire Bible, is to be able to be like a child and see him as your father. And I know this is a, a different concept, but I want us to move towards that. And in my own life, when I was a young person, I, I came to see God as my father uh, for the reason that at age 14, my human father died. Uh, I was very uh, close to my dad, felt very connected to him. I was getting to that puberty stage in life, a young manhood, and I'm trying to really figure this stuff out. How do you navigate your way from being a kid to an adult to a man? And really leaning in on him to uh, help me understand some of those things. And so uh, he, he dies in an you know, accident and nobody knew it was going to happen type of a thing from an aneurysm. And so I just get the news and it was devastating uh, for me as that 14-year-old to hear it. And I remember that night going to bed trying to process the fact that uh, my father was dead. And I just wept. I, I just wept through the night. And I woke up in the morning and my sheets on my bed were, were wet because um, I just cried so hard. The next night I went to sleep and I tried to sleep the second night and I just cried all night too. I just, I would, as soon as night came and I had a time to not be busy and think, it just hit me and hit me so heavy. So I just was just weeping that second night. And then the third night, I can remember going to bed and thinking maybe this would be the night I'll be okay, and I wasn't. I just was weeping and weeping uncontrollably through the evening. And somewhere in the middle of the evening, I heard a voice say to me, why are you crying? And uh, I stopped, and I was trying to think, where'd the voice come from? But then I just knew intuitively, I knew it was God. God saying to me, why are you crying? And I spoke back to him, and, and you know, I don't know how this sounds to you, but all I can tell you is I'm recounting what really happened. And so I spoke back to him and I, I said, I think you know why I'm crying. I said, my father died. I, You're God, you know that. And then I heard him say a second time, he said, 
why are you crying? And then I paused and I realized I wasn't really crying because my father was gone, that he died. And I said to him, I'm crying because I'm afraid he's in hell. It just somehow that just dawned on me that the life choices that we make while on this earth put us on a trajectory to either really know God and go to heaven or not. And I had never had a conversation with him about God. And so everything started making me realize that it was very possible that my own father would be eternally separated from God in, in hell. And then I heard God say to me, he said, well, you're going to have to trust me with him. And I took a breath and I realized uh, that what I said to him was this, well, what choice do I have? And um, then I'm still just trying to realize that I'm talking to God himself somehow in the middle of the night. And then I hear him say uh, one more thing to me. He said, and will you let me be your father? And uh, even as I was preparing this message a few nights ago, uh, I just started weeping at recalling that. Uh, I wept for a long time, uh, this time in terms of just unreal gratitude, what a good father he's been to me. But I said to him that night as a 14-year-old kid, yes, I would like it if you would be my father. And I felt like he, had, he really made himself very known to me. So I'm acknowledging in my own life that as a young person or as a child needing a father, I was able to hear from God that he wanted to be mine. And I'm wondering if, if some of us are missing hearing his voice because we're looking to him in science, we're looking to him in psychology, we're looking to him as philosophers, we're looking at him in terms of a religious context. So I'm just asking us, before we get into James chapter 4, would you let all that go aside for a moment? And would you just ask yourself that if God is real, then how would he connect with those that he's created? And I would suggest to you that one of the greatest verses that you can ever look at in the entire Bible is where Jesus Christ himself says, I came to give you eternal life. And this is eternal life. It's John chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. But make sure you get this when you get to John chapter 17, 3. And this is eternal life, knowing God the Father, knowing him. And so the, the God that I know wants to be known. That's his primary reason for having created us, is to actually connect with us. And so um, put that thought at the forefront of your uh, mind and your heart right now as we jump into this amazing fourth chapter of James. And I think that you're going to see that indeed James says, God is a father who wants you to be able to hear his voice. He wants to be connected to you and I. He wants it very much. And so if you are at that place where you want it, then it's going to happen. So I would even suggest by the time we get to the end of this message in 20-something minutes, that you're going to be completely positioned to hear from the Most High God as a Father who loves you. That's, that's what James is setting us up for. So turn with me in your Bibles if you've got them. And just go to uh, James chapter 4. We're going to take on the whole uh, chapter. 
It's 17 verses, but we're going to look at it in terms of segments. The first segment is found in verses 1 through 5, and it's very interesting. I'm going to just uh, read a portion of it. Uh, James uh, chapter 4, verse 1 begins, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? And so it's, it's kind of interesting when a Bible verse, uh, chapter or Bible verse starts out. Why are you fighting? What, what, what is the source of this? And so James is going to set us up to have to go deep. You can't say the reason I'm fighting is because of the other person. It's what is the source among you. The source isn't what another person has done to you. The source of you fighting is that inside you want to fight. <laughs> you want to create division or, or you want to be right. You're trying to make other people see your vantage point or you're trying to win. And so every argument, every fight, every quarrel has you at the source of it. And so it's going to go on. And it's not just even you, but it's your ego. It's your desires. It's your pleasures. It's I'm going to put myself first. You know what's scary? Whenever you and I put ourselves first, we automatically lose perspective of what everybody else can bring to that conversation or that collaborative opportunity. So I'm suggesting to you that when you're trying to connect with God, you're going to have to learn how not to put yourself first. Let's say he really did make everything. We might want to approach him in such a way that says, um, listen, I'm created to get to know you. I want to hear from you. What is your perspective about the, my time on planet Earth? Maybe the only reason that we're really here is so that we can learn by faith to really be connected to him and to learn from him and that means that we get to hear his voice. It's not going to happen outside of that. And so it's going to go on. He's also going to say, and, and then you're struggling because you don't fit in. So because of the fact that you don't fit in, uh, that in and of itself should tell you that you weren't made for the world. And so the warning then becomes, quit trying uh, to make the world your ultimate landing ground. It's not. The world's just here actually as an opportunity for you to spend a brief amount of time to find out that you're not made for planet Earth, but you're made for the very kingdom of God that goes on forever. So if you think you're made for Earth, would you just stop for a moment and see yourself spinning at 67,000 miles an hour, going around this way at 100,000 miles an hour, shooting around the sun at 500,000 miles an hour, and having the galaxy plummeting through the universe at 828,000 miles an hour? And can you, can you realize that that's not where you want to end up? You want to end up in such a way that you're stepping into a place of eternity through the relationship with a God who put it all in motion and, is, and has set it up so that you and I can actually know him and know his heart. So that's why we're created. It's going to go on, and we're going to see that uh, in the second section, um, verses 6 through 10, he's going to move to the fact that not only were you created to get to know him, but that he, he himself is very approachable. And so if he's approachable, what he's going to want us to know is that he's not punitive. And you know, as a person who didn't grow up in the church but has uh, pastored for over 20 years and then worked with churches for almost another 20, it's amazing to me how many people see God as punitive. I mean, it's, it's no wonder that a lot of people don't want to attend church or, or 
or even go to a worship service that sometimes doesn't seem worshipful, but it almost seems dehumanizing or shaming. Or I don't, I don't want to try to get close to God and feel guilty. I already feel guilty enough. And so what this passage is going to say, uh, verses really 6 through 10, is that with God, it's all about Him beginning the relationship with grace and finishing the relationship with grace. And so what he does is he says, I'm going to, I'm going to knock on the door of your heart and try to pull you into having a meaningful conversation with me. And so I'll let you begin the conversation anywhere you want. I'll even let you choose whether or not you're going to open and answer that door. But that's the way he's going to move forward with it. But look at this. Well, first, we probably have to look at the end of verse uh, 5 just to be able to get an idea of what his heart's uh, about. Verse 5 says, He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. And so if He jealously desires the Spirit that He's made to dwell in us, can I tell you that He's in love with us, a deep love. And so he's trying to protect us and protect our relationship. So he's not working against it. He's not trying to keep us at a distance. He's doing everything he can to pull us in. And now we're going to get to verse 6, and it's going to say that what we need to do is flip this idea that you're going to have to somehow earn your right to make God be willing to receive you. If we did something to make God willing to receive us, then we don't need grace. But it says he gives a, a greater grace. It all begins with grace. It ends with grace. The middle of it is Christ on the cross is grace. And so any approach to come to God outside of grace makes no sense to me because that's how he himself has provided a way to him. But looking in this uh, verse 6, it's going to say, God gives a greater grace. Therefore, he is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God says, if you're so proud that you don't think you need him, then what you're really doing is you're setting yourself up not to need him. I don't even know how to figure out the ability to not get motion sick by the information I know about the planet right now. How, it, how in the world would I be so arrogant to think that I don't need him? And I'm, I'm telling you, that's just on a physical mindset. If your father dies, if somebody you, you love, if, if um, a place deep within you um, gets broken, if people do something to you that just devastates your ability to trust people, these things happen to us. And for us to think that we wouldn't need the, the person who has our best interest in mind, who create us for the very reason to get to know us and to be known, we've literally somehow, I don't know, we're, we're either stupid or arrogant. I don't know how to say it any other than that. And so don't be stupid. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that you don't need grace. We need it. We thrive on it. Grace isn't for, um, uh, it's not a, a tool that should make us feel weak. Grace is for those of us who are weak that want to get strong. Grace is what opens the door for intimacy. And so for us to think that we wouldn't need it just makes no sense. We're going to see in verses 7 and 8, he's going to move it to saying this, because I love you unconditionally, I want to make sure that you know how to become close to me and experience my unconditional love. 
Because we as humans, we put conditions on it all the time. We put conditions on the way we treat each other. We put conditions on God himself. I'll do this. We try to cut deals. And so I just, if he really is God, and he is, he's, he's not a favor broker. He's not up there trying to cut deals with us. What he's doing is he's opening an opportunity for us to get to know him. It's about connecting with him, not about getting something from him. And so verses 7 and 8 are amazing to me. These are some of my uh, favorite verses in, in the entirety of the Bible. But James 4, 7 and 8 says, Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is an amazing two verses there's a lot of verbs in it. Each one of these verbs you're going to see are in the uh, aorist imperfect tense. And so it's really in a command form. So basically, it's, hey, this isn't a, uh, an option for you. It's, this is how it really works. And you need to know this. This is how things move forward. First of all, you need to be willing to submit to God. Well, I mean, if he's your father, why would you not go to him for advice? Why would you not acknowledge your need of him? Why would you not be grateful about his willingness to take time and spend uh, his life wanting to pour into yours? This very day as I was coming here, I've, I've mentored some um, young men in my life. It's one of the great joys of my life is to get to mentor other people, whether they're my own children, my grandchildren, or some of the athletes and individuals that I've mentored over the last 20 years. Literally today, I'm on my way here to do this message and one of my mentees uh, from almost uh, 12 years ago just stops by uh, un unexpected and said, hey Pops, I just, I'm in Washington on my way to Portland, drive by, I wanted to see you. And you know what, for me, I, I just put everything on pause. I was supposed to reread this, get ready for this message. And all of a sudden, all this went that way and I went this way with Nehru, and I just, I love him. And I just wanted to find out how he was doing. I felt so privileged that he loves me as a mentor enough to go out of his way and come see me. Uh, and so I feel the same way about him that he does about me. That's what you do when you're really connected. That's, that's what submitting is. You just stop what you do and you put the other person first. Then it's gonna go on, this is fascinating. It's gonna say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, I want to put my pastor's hat on for a moment. I can't tell you how many people make the enemy out to be um, weak and uninvolved, just like they do with God. It didn't say resist evil and everything's going to be okay. This isn't evil. This is the devil who has a personal vendetta against the children of God. That's the way it really works. Why? Because the devil is proud and did not believe that he needed to submit to God nor his ways. And so when you're that, that out of it, uh, you, you aren't bringing anything into the relationship. You actually think that you know better than God himself. And so what's interesting to me is I see God as my father and I see satan the devil as a predator as a manipulator and and even like if i thought about it in a, a 
child context, I would see him as a pedophile. He, he's there to use you for his own sick pleasure. And so if that's true, and it is, think it through. There's nothing beautiful about that. It's disgusting. So that being true, why would you not resist? Why would you give in to that? And so I, I'm just so much in alignment with the Word of God. Resist it. And it's not like you're weak that, okay, now you're going to be in a battle. Friends, when you re resist, the enemy will flee from you. I love that, that promise. Again, it's command form. Then it's going to go on to where everything gets right-sided. It says, draw near to God. And he will, emphatically, he will draw near to you. And so I think that's interesting in my own life. I thought, when is it that I've tried to lean into the Lord or draw near to him and he wouldn't come, he wouldn't show himself? And it's really when I'm just playing. If I'm playing, uh, I'm missing him. And sometimes it kind of goes back to uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, where I'm so caught up in the world, I've crowded him out. Um, but and so that off, you know, that will keep him in a distance. But when we draw near to him, when we get out of that that mindset of world first or me first, and I take a step for him, I can't think of one time where I don't believe he's also pulled me in and and, and uh, drawn near to me as well. So I love the passage where it says that the Lord cannot despise the prayers or the heart of the broken. That he feels compelled to have to move towards us when we approach him in that uh, place of brokenness or need, or when we're willing just to say, I love you, and move towards him. Everything stops, and he looks at us eye to eye. It's a beautiful thing. And now, again, he's going to say, cleanse your hands. What, what this is, is do you understand that if you're doing a bunch of stuff that keeps you from being able to uh, draw near to him, just stop it. Just don't do that anymore. Get that out of your life. And then he's even going to say, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's so many of us who in our hearts, we're wondering, we're doubting, we're going here, we're going there. And he's going to, he's going to tell us here, the pure heart is a heart that's, that's single in its focus in its belief of God. So don't make this hard. Don't make it like, oh no, I've got to be pure. I've got to be cleaner. God will never talk to me. It's just the opposite. Realize that you can't be clean enough and he wants to give you his cleanliness. He, he gives us his righteousness. Realize that if your heart's after him, he is after you. You're going to connect, and that's the beauty of it. And so one of my favorite passages uh, that reinforces this is 1 John 4.18. I just want to read it for you. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Okay, all those times where somebody tried to shame you into behaving well or screamed at you to make you a better person. It's like, you know what? It's like if I'm going to be real mean to you, maybe you'll be nice. That never works. It just destroys the true connection. God doesn't work that way. And so come out from that. He wants you. He loves you. Come into uh, that place where there's perfect love, no fear, no shame. And so then I just want to get to the last section of this passage. And that's uh, found in verses uh, 11 through 17. And the passage I want us to read here is verse 14. And I think it's going to uh, bring the whole message to a conclusion. It says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. 
you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Oh boy, doesn't that make you feel good about yourself? I, I mean, here it is. I want to be your father. I love you. I'm approachable. I'm not punitive. You were made, you know, to know me. And now, oh, by the way, life is like a vapor and you're just a mist. It, it takes me back to the old Kansas song, All We Are is Dust and Wind. It's kind of depressing when you first read it. But let's dig in a little bit closer to that and ask the Lord why he put that in there. Why would the brother of James say, hey, you're only a vapor? Because what he's trying to do is saying, look, time goes really fast. Don't miss it. Don't get preoccupied with the world. Don't get preoccupied with, occupied with trying to um, be the best or win or prove yourself. Don't get preoccupied or sidetracked um, in any way that would take you away from your true mission, which is getting to know God. That's why you're created. And so the beauty of it is that if you will see your life and time as vulnerable, if you'll see yourself as vulnerable, then it makes complete sense why you want to make God a priority. Those of us who aren't vulnerable, uh, we're usually also not teachable and correctable. So do you really think God's going to connect with you when you think you know more than him? Say you're already moving down that road of arrogance. And so I'm just acknowledging that I'm, I'm teachable and correctable. We arrive at him only to enter into conversations that move us forward in life. It's so amazing. And I've spent years trying to get to know him better and better. And every one of those years has uh, been a blessing to me. So I just want to suggest you try a few things. If you, if you believe that he's real, and you've got to, if you believe that you can hear from him, then you should want to. If you want to hear from him, look how simple it is. Quit seeing him as punitive and see him as looking to draw near to you. Now you set some time aside to draw near to him. He's not looking for a hostile takeover. Look, friends. When Jesus came, the Jews wanted him to defeat Rome, and then they would follow him. He, he didn't defeat the Romans. He defeated sin and everything that works against his very heart. He died on a cross. He laid his life down. He gave his life away so that you and I could draw near to him. And so it wasn't defeating Rome. It was defeating sin. Sin, And so we've got to move out of that mindset that in any way looks like he doesn't have our best interests in mind. He does. And so move into him in that vulnerable place. Set time aside for him. He's worth it. And this is how simple it can be. Give time in the morning to pray. And when you pray, literally see yourself conversing with God. Don't, don't just connect with him and asking him for stuff. But just ask him even, what stuff should I even talk about today? Hit, hit, hit the, the, the conversation like, I just want to be connected with you. It's not about me getting something from you. I'm not asking you to defeat my enemies and all. I just want to be with you. Start with that. Read your Bible. And when you read your Bible, only read a chapter. Don't even read more than a chapter. And I know some of you are on the three chapters a day, read through the Bible in a year, and that's fine. But at least when you get to one of those chapters, would you actually just read a paragraph at a time and then after the paragraph stop and say, Lord, what did you want me to learn from that? And then take your pen and write down something in the notes. But turn it into a conversation, not a lesson plan, right? And so those are so simple things that we need to do.
But what I want to make sure that we understand is that your vulnerability, your desire to connect with God means everything to Him. And so I'm asking you even right now, let's practice a little vulnerability. I actually am comfortable being vulnerable um, just because I've seen it work. And so is there a situation in your life right now that you know if God spoke to you, it would make everything right? I mean, is there a place in your life that if God touched that place uh, and you felt very connected to Him, that you can make it through whatever it is you're fighting with right now? Be vulnerable. Just stop and say, Lord, enough. I've carried this. I'm fighting this. And I just want to hear what you have to say about it. I want to know that you care and that you can, that you can do something. Take your pen, take a journal, spend some time, say that to him, and then just write down what you sense you're hearing in your inner person. Just write it down. And, I, and get in the habit of doing that. It's called journaling, but it's called seeking the Lord. Let's start hearing from God. Here's the, uh, the beauty of hearing from God is that we really don't know what's gonna happen later on today. We don't know who's gonna stop by in five minutes. We, we just don't know all of these variables, but he does. And when we have a conversation with him, it doesn't even matter what happens because he's preparing us for whatever happens. And if you feel connected to the Lord, then what is it that we're not gonna be able to overcome, right? As you are walking hand in hand with your father, that's a good day. And that's all we're asking is that you learn how to move him, move with him in such a way that you allow him to speak into your life, that you tell him that you need him to. And if there's anything in your life that you think is counterproductive to that relationship with God, then ask him to talk to you about that. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a relationship. And I just bless you on your journey for that. I look forward to uh, hearing from uh, many of my friends out there what you're doing to draw closer and how you are seeing him reciprocate by drawing closer to you. It will work that way because that's how he says it works. Just God bless you in your journey. Amen.